Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. I'm your host, Jared Dawkins. I hope all of you out there in the world are taking good care of yourselves and being safe out there. And I hope all of you out there are making good, smart, and careful decisions. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, one of the craziest, one of the craziest NFL wildcard playoff weekends or just NFL playoff weekends in general that I've seen in a long, long time. And it started on Saturday afternoon when the Seattle Seahawks took on the San Francisco 49ers in an in in NFC West Divisional playoff game, playoff matchup. And in the beginning, this game was close. Seattle made it a game. They fought and they fought and they fought all the way up until they actually took a one-point lead going into the half when they were up 17-16. to 16. But then, as we all know, in a Kyle Shanahan system, and with Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers in general, when their offense starts to get it going, along with how nasty and just how physical their defense is, once they start to get it going and they start to get their, their, their feet underneath them, it's almost like an avalanche. Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, Samson Ebucam, Jordan Willis, Jimmy Ward on the back end of that secondary, Tyler Noah, Hufanga on the back end of that secondary, Chavaris Ward. This 49ers football team, no matter who the quarterback is, and I'm going to get into that, I'll get get into that in a little bit. No matter who the quarterback is, when this 49ers football team starts to get it going offensively and defensively, they are pretty much almost damn near unstoppable. Which brings me to their offense. As we all know, Kyle Shanahan is one of the best head coaches in, in all of the National Football League. Been to multiple been to multiple NFC Championship games. He's been to a Super Bowl. Could really could be on the verge of going back to one. In my opinion, I think the 49ers, in my opinion, will get back to the Super Bowl. That's just me. But as we all know, with Kyle Shanahan, he took this offense that he currently has. He took this offense from his father, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure a lot of you out there know who Kyle Shanahan's father is. It's legendary head coach or former legendary head coach Mike Shanahan, former head coach of the former head coach of the Denver Broncos. Kyle Shanahan took his father's system, turned it into his own, but put his own twist on it. And when you say, and when you look at it, when you see Kyle Shanahan's offense, you see some semblance of of his father's you see some semblance of what his father used to do in this offense but then when you see Kyle Shanahan's twist on it is when you see the creativity along with the physicality to go with this offense as well and the fact that this offense is as balanced as it is and as physical as it is you when you put any style of quarterback in this system whether it be a, whether it be a Nick Mullins, whether it be a Jimmy Garoppolo, whether it be a Trey Lance in the preseason, or whether it be the last pick in the draft and Brock Purdy, who by the way, speaking of, speaking of Brock Purdy, I actually saw Brock Purdy play in college a little bit. Brock Purdy was a pretty damn decent quarterback in college at Iowa State, but for him to come into the NFL be the last pick in the draft and come into a system that absolutely just shows off his athletic capabilities 
Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy is in the right system, okay? This system's not asking him to do too much. And this system is not is not asking him to to do very, very little. This system is right in the middle of, okay, we're going to give you the keys to the car and we're going to put the game in your hands, but we're going to put you in a position to succeed when we, when we, by the, by, by the play, by the plays that we call, when we put the game in your hands. And we'll also give you the chance to show off your athleticism a little bit. So that's why when you see guy, when you see guys like Brock Purdy go undefeated, as Brock Purdy has gone undefeated so far in his NFL career, I mean, pretty much, pretty much, pretty much blasting and beating Tom Brady in his first ever start, Brock Purdy that is, and then in his first ever playoff game, watching Brock Purdy play, it was almost like Brock Purdy's been in the league now for ten years. What watching Brock Purdy in that offense, it it's almost like watching Brock Purdy. And he's just out there looking like he's been in the league seven to eight years because of how well he's ran this offense. Brock Purdy went 18 of 30 for 332 yards, three touchdowns, averaged 18.4 yards per play, zero interceptions, was sacked one time, and had a QB rating of 131.5. Okay, so they pretty much, they, they didn't put too much on him. But then when they really needed him to just take over the game and just and just put the game away, that's why you have weapons like the 49ers have with Christian McCaffrey, who went who had 15 carries for 119 yards and two receptions for 17 yards and a touchdown. Also, Debo Samuel, who's one of the best who's been who's one of the best overall offensive weapons in the league and wide receivers. He has six catches for 133 yards and a touchdown. Brandon Ayuk, three catches for 73 yards. Jawan Jennings, two catches for, for 41 yards. George Kittle. George Kittle only had two catches for 37 yards in this game. And Elijah Mitchell, two catches for 25 yards. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Jawan Jennings, George Kittle, and Eli Mitchell all had all had an average of over 10 yards, over 10 or 20 yards per catch. I'm going to say that again. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Jawan Jennings, George Kittle, and Eli Mitchell all had over an average of 10 plus yards per catch in this football game. That's how versatile this offense is. That's how expansive this offense is. That's how physical this offense is because this offense can get really, really physical when they need to. And that's just how balanced this offense is. And that's just how just just how ridiculously almost unstoppable a Kyle Shanahan offense is. When a Kyle Shanahan offense needs to get physical, they get physical. When they want the quarterback to take the game over at to take the game over at times, they'll give him the reins to take the game over to take the game over with, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo or or Brock Purdy. Or when they just need to be balanced and not only just show how flashy or how physical and or how physical they can be, they'll do both. And the 49ers just took over this game in the second half. They dominated it offensively and defensively. 
which eventually led to the 49ers smashing Seattle 41-23. to And I just, it was just, it was just pure, pure dominance by the 49ers in the second half of this game. And me personally, I believe the 49ers have a legitimate chance to go to the Super Bowl and win it. And that's 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 just my opinion. But next up, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk Chargers Jaguars. Honestly, I'm just going to come out and say this. I predicted I predicted that the Jacksonville Jaguars would go seven and ten this year. I didn't think that what they're doing this year by winning the division, winning a home playoff game, and then going on to the next round, I didn't think they would do that this year. I thought they would do that next season. I didn't think that what they would do this season. Um, I'm sorry. I, I I didn't I didn't think that that they would do what they're doing this season. Now I didn't think they would do this. Now I thought they would do this next year, winning the division, winning a home playoff game, winning ten games. I didn't think they would do that this year. I thought they was going to do that next year, but they are obviously a year ahead of schedule. And, but also, I'm just going to come out and say it. Honestly, Jacksonville had no business winning this game. All respect to Trevor Lawrence for coming out in the second half of this game and stepping up and just absolutely flipping the switch and just never giving up and just completely turning around his performance and playing to the level of his capabilities because let's be honest okay let's be honest the way Trevor Lawrence played in the second half or excuse me the way Trevor Lawrence played in the first half of this game against the Chargers you can't play any worse than what he played at one point Trevor Lawrence was four of 16 for 30 yards and four interceptions you can't play any worse than what Trevor Lawrence played in the second half of this game or excuse me in the first half of this game Asante Samuel had three picks. Asante Samuel Jr. had three interceptions in this game. And as we all know, Asante Samuel Jr., his father, Asante Samuel Sr., who, who, I, who I grew up watching in the league, he was one of the better corners in the league for about a good two to three year period that really nobody talked about. But Asante Samuel played really, really well in this game. The Chargers dominated this game offensively and defensively in the first half of this game. But here's where I believe the game turned for the Chargers and this is when the game and this is when the game started to kind of go downhill a little bit. In the in the second quarter towards the end of the first half, the Chargers were up 24 to nothing. Again, they were dominating this game. And as they were driving down the field, to, to go up even more. Justin Herbert missed Keenan Allen in the back of the end zone on just a regular, regular, you know, tight, on a rope type throw for a touchdown. And he missed him. And that could have put the Chargers up 31 to 7 going into the halftime. But it only put them up 27 to nothing because they ended up ultimately having to kick a field goal. Then Jacksonville got the ball back. They drove back down the field, and they scored a touchdown to try to get some momentum to go into the half. And 
that's when you can kind of say the game turned a little bit. Because because towards the end of the third quarter, this is when I knew the game was going to change. When the when when Jacksonville when the when Jacksonville got the ball midway through the third quarter, late third quarter, and they put up a touchdown to cut the lead from twenty seven to seven to twenty seven to fourteen. And when Jacksonville or excuse me, when the Chargers drove back down the field to go back up seven to go back up sixteen, when they kicked the field goal to go up thirty to fourteen, in my mind I'm thinking to myself if Jacksonville scores another touchdown to cut the lead to 10 and then go for two to cut the lead to one score, this is going to be a problem. And that's exactly what Jacksonville did. Trevor Lawrence hit Zay Jones, who was who was so wide open it wasn't even funny. He hit Zay Jones on a 30-plus yard deep, deep, uh, deep crossing route down the middle of the field. Hit Zay Jones. Zay Jones scores a touchdown. Jacksonville cuts the lead from 30 to 14 to 30 to 20. They go for two, and now it's all of a sudden a one uh, a one possession game, 30 to 22. And then uh, and then after that, the wheels just started to fall off, and Joey Bosa committing the penalties that he committed because he was just so upset that the referees weren't weren't calling false start penalties, weren't calling holding penalties. The Chargers just collapsing offensively, and then Joey Bosa committing the just the just dumb mental penalties that you just cannot commit, and him allowing his emotions to get the best of him. You cannot play as well of a game as the Chargers played in the first half, then collapse in the second half of that game the way that they did, and expect to hold on and win that game. And again, all respect to Trevor Lawrence. Again, like I said earlier, Trevor Lawrence went 14, went 4 of 16 in the first half for 30 yards and four picks. In the second half, he came back, threw for over 200 and I want to say 60 plus yards, and threw four touchdowns, and led and led Jacksonville back to win that game on a game-winning field goal. Which, by the way, that play call that Doug Peterson made with Travis Etienne in the backfield. Where that, where it looked like they where they had three running backs in the backfield on fourth and one, and it looked like they were going to push Trevor Lawrence forward for a first down, but all they, but uh, pretty much all they did was was have a, was do a talk was was do a halfback toss, sweep to Travis Etienne, and they just they just had Travis Etienne use the speed to get to the corner, when the Chargers were up thirty to twenty eight in the fourth quarter, and Jacks and Jacksonville was driving down to win the game. That was a beautiful play call. That was the, that was an absolutely beautiful play call. But bottom line is, at the end of the day, the Chargers chargered. The char and the Chargers just flat out have a history of just not being able to put games away and put teams away. Put teams away. Prime example: the 2004 wild card game against the New York Jets. They blew that game because of special teams problems. The 2006 AFC Divisional Round Playoff game against the New England Patriots blew that game, gave Tom Brady multiple opportunities to put that game away. Chargers end up blowing that game and blow a chance to possibly go to the Super Bowl. So the Chargers have a history of this. It does not matter who the head coach is. At the end of the day, 
when you have a history of not being able to put games away or you have a or you have a history of blowing leads and not finishing off games, you're going to get collapses like this. Again, like I said earlier, there is no reason why the Chargers should have lost this game. When you have a plus five turnover differential, when you are plus five in the turnover category like the Chargers were, you should you should have won that game by three touchdowns. Or you should have won that game by at least four or five touchdowns. Now, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Had Justin Herbert hit Keenan Allen in the back of the end zone on that on that easy touchdown pass late in the first half that Justin Herbert missed, and or and or if Asante Samuel had ran back at least one of those interceptions for a touchdown. I guarantee you we're not even having this conversation right now. I guarantee you I'm not even talking about how the Chargers blew this game. If Joey Bosa doesn't doesn't lose his damn mind and 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 and, and let his emotions get the best of him and cost his team penalty yardage because he's just so up in arms that the referees aren't calling holding penalties or aren't calling or or, or aren't calling false start penalties. If none of those things happen, if Keenan Allen catches that touchdown pass, if Joey Bosa doesn't lose his mind uh, on the officials, if Asante Samuel runs back at least one of those picks for a touchdown, the Chargers win this game and they're moving on to the divisional round. But because all of those things happened, because all of those missed opportunities took place, Keenan Allen, or excuse me, um, Justin Herbert missing Keenan, Keenan Allen on an easy touchdown pass, Joey Bosa allowing his emotions to get the best of him with the officials. Um, Asante Samuel not returning at least one of those picks back for a touchdown. The fact that all of those things happened and the Chargers just just absolutely collapsed in the second half of this game. And Jacksonville, shout out to Jacksonville for not giving up and not quitting and continuing to keep fighting. If all, if the uh, the uh, fact that all of those things happened with the Chargers along with Jacksonville finally finding finding their footing and Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence becoming a match made in heaven with each other it leads to the Chargers collapsing like they always do and it led to the third greatest comeback in NFL playoff history and Congratulations to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You've earned it. You deserve it. Trevor Lawrence is coming into his own like it's nobody's business. And what a better way to collect your first ever NFL playoff victory by playing as poorly as he played in the first half of that game, coming back in the second half and just lighting and just lighting it up in the second half. And not only that, Doug Peterson putting him in position to make the plays that he that he needed to make in the second half of this game and for Doug Peterson to not give up on Trevor Lawrence and continue to have faith in him that he would turn it around congratulations to Jacksonville you earned it you deserved it you deserve it and now you're moving on to the divisional round to face the Kansas City Chiefs for the Chargers bottom line the Chargers Charger and I hope that the Chargers can figure out a way to get past this hump of 
not being able to finish games and put teams away. And uh, because the Chargers have too much talent. The Chargers have had too much talent over the past, I'd say, 20 years to not to have to not at least have won one championship. They've had too much talent go through that. They've had too much talent go through that organization with LaDainian Tomlinson and Phillip Rivers and, and Antonio Gates and Vincent Jackson and guys like Eric Weddle and Sean Marion. Sean Merriman, you know, um, Antonio Camardi. The Chargers have had too much talent come through the history of that franchise. Junior Sehow, the late Junior Sehow, Marty Schottenheimer as the head coach. The Chargers have had too much talent on their roster throughout the history of their franchise to not at least come away with one championship. And it feels like no matter how much talent they do have come through the history of this franchise, the history of this franchise always collapsing and just not being able to put to not finish games and put opponents away in the playoffs. It still rears its ugly head even till this day, and it's just going to continue to haunt them until they finally figure out a way to have a killer instinct and put and 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 put teams away, no matter how much talent they have. I would love to see the Chargers win a championship, but they just got to get over that hump of being able to put teams away in the playoffs and just not just have that. You know, that that cloud over them of just, okay, here we go again. The Chargers Chargers are charging again. But until they get that cloud out from, until they get that cloud out from over top of them, no matter how much talent they have, no matter how good of a coaching staff they have, until they get that cloud from over top of them, they're going to continue to do things like what they did this past Saturday night by collapsing in games like they did against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Next up, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about the Buffalo Bills matchup on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. Bottom line is this with the Buffalo Bills, and it's just this simple. The Buffalo Bills are in trouble, and I'm going to get a little bit more into that um, a little bit later on in the show. To me, this game was more about the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills, and here's why I say that. The Miami Dolphins, this game really truly showed me with Miami that, and again, this Mike McDaniel system with the Dolphins, who does it remind you of? Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. Why? Because Mike McDaniel took this system that he was in when he was in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan. He took this system brung it to Miami, and like Kyle Shanahan did with his father's system, he took it, put his spin on it, put his creativity on it, put his brain power into it. That's what Mike McDaniel has done with this system in Miami. He he took from Kyle Shanahan, brought that system to Miami, but he's put his own flair, his own flash, his, and his own creativity and brain power on it, which leads me to Skylar Thompson. Skylar Thompson, while Skylar Thompson's numbers aren't eye-popping, Skylar, honestly, Skylar Thompson played pretty damn decent 
for a guy who's never started a playoff game in his life. Which, by the way, speaking of the Dolphins, this was the Dolphins' first playoff game since 2016 when they played the Pittsburgh Steelers in the wildcard round in Pittsburgh. Okay, Skylar Thompson went 18 of 45, 220 yards, averaged 12.2 yards per play, one touchdown, was picked off twice, was sacked four times, and had a QB and 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 had a QB rating of QB rating of 44.7. Now, I will say this about Skyler. Skyler struggled a little bit. He struggled, but at some point he really started to find his footing and he he started to play well. There were moments in this game where he kind of underthrew receivers, but then there were also times where he would he, he would hit Tyreek Hill Right in the hands, Tyreek would drop it. He would hit Jalen Waddle right in the hands, and Jalen Waddle would drop it. But then once Skyler kind of started to get his feet underneath him, you really started to see Miami get their offense going. Which brings me to my next point. This Miami Dolphins defense is really, really good. At one point in this game, late in the late in the second quarter, my the Miami Dolphins were down 17 to nothing in this game. Okay. Miami rattled off 24 points in in the second quarter alone. I'm gonna say that again. They they rattled off they rattled off 24 points in the second quarter alone. They had a couple of defensive turnovers. One one of their turnovers was a one of their turnovers was a strip sack that turned into a defensive touchdown that actually gave them the lead in this game, 24-20, to 20, going into halftime. So Miami went from having no momentum to being to just being dead in the water at 17-0 to all of a sudden going on a 24-3 run late in the first half of this game and taking the lead. And with, with Buffalo... I just don't understand it with Buffalo come the playoffs. I don't get it. And and with this AFC divisional matchup in the AFC East with Miami and and Buffalo, I mentioned this to you guys on the show last time that that with Miami and Buffalo Miami and Buffalo match up very very well with each other. They're very even, okay? And this truly showed this matchup between Buffalo and Miami just truly showed how e- how how even more even they really really are. And the one thing that really stood out to me in this game, this is how you know how good Miami really is and how good they're really really going to be in the future. This game came down to a 4th and 6 when where where with Skylar Thompson just barely just barely not connecting on a on a low medium throw to the outside to Mike Gesicki. If that pass was completed to Mike Gesicki, the drive continues to keep going and maybe Miami messes around and sends this game to overtime and if that happens, who knows what the hell happens when this game goes into overtime. But again, that's how good Miami was in this game. Their offense struggled, but eventually their defense kept them in it. Their defense actually gave them the lead to the point where their offense kind of had to still find their way as the defense was keeping them in it. And then once the offense really found their way and the offense really started to take over, you really started to see once again 
why these get why why the last two matchups between why the last two matchups between Miami and Buffalo were as close as they were during the regular season. But ultimately, I came from I came away from this game with Miami and Buffalo thinking to myself, Miami Miami is one big time quarterback or one semi big time quarterback acquisition away from not only beating Buffalo, but possibly taking over the division, or having my or 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 or, or just going head to head with Buffalo for the AFC East for the next three to four, maybe even five years. Miami is that damn good. But the fact that they've gone through at least three quarterbacks this season due to injuries, and and despite their 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 difficult quarterback situation, they were a fourth down conversion away from sending this game to overtime with a third string with a third string rookie quarterback who had never started a playoff game a day in his life, and that's what this system with Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan with San Francisco and Miami does. No matter who you are at the quarterback position, it this system with Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan will put your quarterback in position to be successful, to go out there and show how good they really can be. It'll show their athleticism, but then if you have the weapons in place to put to to be able to put your quarterback in position to succeed, like Miami has with Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, Mike Gesicki, and Cedric Wilson, and then with the 49ers, with Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Jawan Jennings, and Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey, when you have a court, when you have an athletic quarterback like Brock Purdy, when you have a a quarterback like like Skylar Thompson, when you have weapons like those two teams have, and when you're physical and as balanced as those two teams are, it does not matter who the quarterback is, because Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan will put them in position to succeed, and then they and then and then. Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan will both allow these quarterbacks to go out there and and just make plays and let it rip from time to time. And you and you see it with Brock Purdy in San Francisco, and you saw it with Skylar Thompson and Mike McDaniel in Miami. But with all of that being said, Buffalo held on, even though Buffalo was kind of up and down throughout this game. Buffalo holds on for the 34-31 victory, and they're moving on to the divisional round to take on the Cincinnati Bengals. And lastly, ladies and gentlemen, oh, and um, I'm sorry, next up, the New York Giants took on the Minnesota Vikings. And honestly, I'm just going to say this about the New York Giants. Bottom line with Daniel Jones, that is the best game that Daniel Jones has played in his career thus far to this point. And I'm going to say this about Daniel Jones, okay? For me, with Daniel Jones, when Daniel Jones was first drafted into the NFL, when I saw him and I watched him, he he immediately he immediately reminded me of a younger, more athletic version of Eli Manning, where there would be moments where he would go on a hot streak, six, seven completions in a row, two touchdown passes, but then he would come back a couple of possessions or or possession later, and he would throw two head-scratching interceptions. 
and he would just be turnover prone. But when you bring in a head coach like Brian Daybold, who did wonders with Josh Allen, and now you're starting to see Josh Allen struggle as much as he struggled without Brian Daybold. When you bring in a head coach like Brian Daybold, and he's able to do wonders, um, when he's able to, to do the wonders that he's done with Daniel Jones, you you really start to see the efficient crisp um, uh, um, the the efficient crispness of an offense that you're now starting to see with the New York Giants. I've I've never seen in this game as long as I've been watching Daniel Jones. The New York Giants went up and down, up and down, up and down the field on this Minnesota Vikings defense. I've never seen in the last, I probably say the last six or seven years, I've never seen a Minnesota Vikings defense just get just get ran up, just just get ran up and down the field on like they were in this game against the Giants. And Daniel Jones was just running this offense with with such efficiency and crispness and and, and productivity that that realistically it got to a point in this game where you had wide receivers running wide open down the middle of the field on deep crossing routes. I, seriously, no joke. I remember on two separate occasions, and it might have been the same play on two different drives. Or, should be, or excuse me, I take that back. It, it might have been the same play on the same drive, but multiple times that it happened. Darius Slayton was open on two straight deep crossing route plays, wide open. Okay, now here's what I'm going to say about the Minnesota Vikings. When you let go of a defensive-oriented head coach like Mike Zimmer was, and you bring in an offensive-oriented head coach like Kevin O'Connell is, it kind of, it kind of, it leaves one side of of the football on a football team. It leaves less attention to be paid to on one side of the ball than the other. Because as we all know, Minnesota's offense is really, really good. But because they don't have that defensive-oriented head coach like Mike Zimmer anymore, you're really starting to see Minnesota's defense struggle because they now have an offensive-oriented head coach. Whereas though with Mike Zimmer, Minnesota used to always have, for about a four- or five-year period when Mike Zimmer was there, they would have a top five to maybe top seven defense in the league. But then their offense would kind of struggle a little bit. But now the switch is flipped. Now when you bring in an offensive-oriented head coach like Kevin O'Connell, now the defensive side of the football is kind of suffering and the, and you're starting to see the offensive side of the football get more of the attention, which eventually led to because I was watching the game and I was thinking about this. And as I was watching this game, I started thinking to myself, if Minnesota doesn't win this game, Ed Donatello, who was the defensive coordinator, is going to end up like Bob Sutton did, who was the former defensive coordinator for the Chiefs before he eventually got fired and Steve Spagnuolo took over as defensive coordinator for the Chiefs. When Bob Sutton was the defensive coordinator in Kansas City, 
when they played the Patriots in the 2018 AFC Championship game, I was watching that game and I thought to myself, if the Chiefs lose this game, Bob Sutton's going to get fired. And he's going to get fired because the Patriots were just going up and down the field on them at a methodical pace. And the Chiefs just could not stop it. And watching Ed Don and watching Ed Donatello, excuse me, watching watching Ed Donatello and that Vikings offense just not be able to get stops on a consistent basis, and just allowing Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and that Giants offense to just go up and down the field on them, I immediately thought of Bob Sutton, and I thought that Ed Donatello is going to end up just like Bob Sutton. And what ended up happening earlier on today? Ed Donatel was fired as the defensive coordinator by the Minnesota Vikings. And so, again, I'm with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones went 25 of 35, 24 35, 301 yards, averaged 12.5 yards per play, two touchdowns. He was sacked three times, but had a QB rating of 114.1. But then Daniel Jones also rushed for 17, 17 carries for 78 yards. Saquon Barkley had nine carries for 53 yards and two touchdowns. Isaiah Hodges, Hodgins had eight catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. Darius Slayton had four catches for 88 yards. Saquon Barkley had five catches for 56 yards. And bottom line, like I said before, when you have an offensive coordinator like Brian Daybold, and he comes in and he just changes the culture of this Giants football team. When he when he also brings in a guy like Wink Martindale, who has the just hyper-aggressive mindset that he has on the defensive end. When you mix that, when you mix Wink's defensive attitude with Brian Daybold's cleverness and just and just his style in in which he can put quarterbacks in position to succeed as far as offensive play calling goes. You get what you got with the Giants in this game against Minnesota. And this is probably the best game that I will ever see Daniel Jones play. And this is probably the best game that we'll probably ever see Daniel Jones play in his entire career. Now, he has a hell of a lot more football out to play in his career. I'm not saying that this will be the best game that he's that he's ever played. But this game that Daniel Jones played, it was efficient, it was crisp, it was beautiful, and it was like, it was, it was just, uh, it was amazing to watch. It was almost like watching a whole brand new Daniel Jones. And I saw a stat that talked about Daniel Jones becoming the first quarterback in NFL history to, let me find it really quickly. Daniel Jones became the first quarterback in NFL history to throw for over 300 yards and rush for 70-plus yards in a playoff game. Michael Vick never did that. Steve Young never did that. My, uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, Michael Vick never did that. Steve Young never did that. Um, the late, great Steve, Mc, uh, Steve McNair never did it. Um, Donovan McNabb never did it, and Lamar Jackson has never done that. So for for Daniel Jones to do that shows how good of a performance he really, really had in this football game. And it was just amazing to watch. Congratulations to the New York Giants. Daniel Jones played a hell of a football game. 
and they will be moving on to take on the Philadelphia Eagles in an NFC East playoff divisional matchup, and I can't wait to watch that game. And lastly, Monday Night Football, the Dallas Cowboys against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bottom line is this. Dak Prescott was just Dak Prescott was on fire in this game. Okay. Dak Prescott went 25 of 33 with 305 yards, averaged 12.2 yards per play, four touchdowns, no pick, no picks, was sacked one time and had a QB rating of 143.3. Tony Pollard had 15 carries for 77 yards. Ezekiel Elliott had 13 carries for 27 yards. Dalton Schultz, seven carries for 95 yards, two touchdowns. C.D. Lamb, four catches for 68 yards, a touchdown. Michael Gallup, five catches for 46 yards, and a touchdown. This game for the Dallas Cowboys, honestly, this game for Dallas wasn't even close, okay? It got to a point in this game where when you really started to watch it and you really started to pay attention to it, you kind of felt like towards the end of the third quarter when Tom Brady hit Julio Jones for a touchdown, you kind of felt like maybe the Buccaneers will get it going. But Dallas's defense just dominated this game. Dallas's offense was just really efficient and took over this game. And congratulations to the Dallas Cowboys. They deserve it. They earned it. And they're moving on to the divisional round to take on the 49ers in the divisional round of the playoffs. But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you guys while the Buffalo Bills are in trouble in the postseason moving forward after their narrow victory over the Miami Dolphins. And I'm going to give you guys my predictions for the AFC Divisional Playoff, uh, for, 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 the, for these AFC Divisional Playoff and NFC Divisional Playoff games this weekend. That's coming up. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I want to talk about the Buffalo Bills and why I believe the Buffalo Bills are in trouble moving forward in the playoffs, starting with the AFC Divisional Round Playoff matchup that they have this coming weekend against the Cincinnati Bengals. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the second time now in a three-year period on Wild Card Weekend that I've seen the Buffalo Bills struggled to win a playoff game while also letting the letting their opponent that they've played against hang around in the game. When you are the Buffalo Bills and you are as talented as they are, you cannot, as a football team, have three turnovers, allow your quarterback to get sacked seven times, and allow a team with a third-string rookie quarterback who's never started a playoff game, you cannot allow a team like that, even though Miami has talent too, but you cannot allow a team like the Dolphins to hang around in a game like that. Which, by the way, they did this, the Buffalo Bills did this a couple of years ago when they played the Indianapolis Colts in the divisional round. The Indianapolis Colts, hung around in the game. Their defense kept them in it like Miami's kept them in it. And and Indianapolis even at one point had a chance to win the game had they not jumped off sides late in the fourth quarter when Buffalo was just trying to get a cheap first down and end the game. So bottom line is this. When the Bills play the Bengals this coming weekend, 
Cincinnati is not Miami. Cincinnati is not going to have a third-string rookie quarterback in there at the helm taking over the reins on offense. I'm just going to say this right now. If I am Miami, or excuse me, if I'm Buffalo, if I'm Bills fans, I should be worried because, because Buffalo cannot allow their quarterback to get sacked seven times because one of those seven sacks, let's just say that happens, and Buffalo allows their quarterback to get sacked seven times, okay? If they allow their quarterback to get sacked seven times, one of those, one of those, one of those sacks is going to turn into a strip sack, and one of those strip sacks that turns into a that turns into a forced fumble is going to turn into a touchdown on Cincinnati's side. And Cincinnati's the kind of team where, if you let them hang around in the game, they're going to make you pay for it. If you turn the ball over three times, Cincinnati's going to make you pay for it. Cincinnati is not Miami. Okay? So, Buffalo, just like they've done the last two, or excuse me, the, uh, um, just like they've done two of the last three times in the wild card round, they cannot let their, they cannot let their opponent hang around in these games. They cannot play as reckless as they did. They cannot let their team, they cannot let their opponents hang around in these games. Because if they do, if they do, if they if they did what they did against Indianapolis, and if they do what they did against Miami, if they do that against Cincinnati, and they play reckless football, and they turn the ball over, and they let Cincinnati hang around in this game, when they have a chance to put them away, Cincinnati's gonna make them pay for it, and I'm and I might even go out on a limb and say Cincinnati might blow Buffalo's doors off. Because Cincinnati is just that damn good. So that's all I'm saying. Buffalo, Bills fans, you need to be worried. The quarterback got sacked seven times. You turned the ball over three times. And that game against Miami came down to a fourth and six where Skylar Thompson barely missed hitting Mike Gesicki on an intermediate out route. Had that intermediate out route pass been completed to Gesicki, that game against that game that Buffalo that game that your Bills played against the Dolphins probably messes around and goes to overtime and who in the hell knows what happens after that. So if I'm a Bills fan, going into this game against Cincinnati, with the way we just played against Miami, we Buffalo can't play like that again against Cincinnati. Being sacked seven times, turning the ball over three times, because if you do Buffalo, I'm telling you right now, if you do, you're going to get blown out, period. You're going to get blown out, and it's just that simple. But next up, ladies and gentlemen, next up, ladies and gentlemen, here are my NFC and AFC Divisional Round Playoff Weekend predictions, starting in the AFC. First up, Chiefs versus Jaguars. Obviously, Doug Peterson going to Kansas City to take on his coaching protege and Andy Reid with the Jaguars pulling off that 27-point comeback against the Chargers. They're feeling good about themselves. The Chiefs having time off. The Chiefs well-rested having time off. Miko Hartman, is, by the way, is going to miss this game with a pelvic injury. But this game is about Jacksonville coming in with momentum. They have nothing to lose. 
everybody and their mama is pretty much picking the Chiefs to win this game. In my opinion, this game is going to come down to can Trevor Lawrence handle the handle the electricity, handle the intensity and the intensity and just handle the pressure of playing at playing at GEA Field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City with that crowd, with all of that noise, with nobody expecting the Chiefs to the, 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 uh, the Jaguars to go into Kansas City and beat them. Can the Jaguars, bottom line, it's just as simple as this, can the Jaguars hang in this game? Can they hang in this game, and can they keep it close all the way up until the fourth quarter? If they can keep it close or even take the lead in this game, the Jaguars will have a legitimate chance to knock off the Chiefs in this game because the Chiefs will come into this game rusty. I'm pretty sure they'll come into this game rusty. They'll have a little bit of rust with having all the time off that they have had. But this game is going to simply come down to can the can the Jaguars offense continue their momentum that they had from last week against the Chargers? Can they bring that momentum into this game with the Chiefs? And can they hang with Kansas City for about three and a half, maybe maybe four quarters or the whole game up until the final gun? But with that being said, I believe that the Chiefs will win this game. I think Jacksonville will, will actually make it a game. They'll keep it close for a little bit, but I think Jacksonville, I think the, I think the Chiefs will eventually turn it on, and the Chiefs win this game 35-26. to 26. Next up, Bengals-Bills. Like I said before, this, this game between the Bengals and the Bills is pretty much a replay of their Monday night game that was canceled due to the unfortunate incident with DeMar Hamlin, who, by the way, is doing much, much better. Thank you so much, DeMar, for not giving up and not quitting. We are so proud of you. Continue to recover and continue to do well to the Hamlin family. We love you and we're praying for you. But this, uh, but also this Bengals-Bills game, this is going to be a good-ass football game, okay? I believe this Bengals-Bills game is going to simply come down to the fact of which team's offense can put the game away early first, okay, and which team's defense can find a way to get a couple of turnovers put the, and, and, and put the ball back in their offense's hands because, honestly, neither one of these teams can run the ball well and run it consistently. So this game is going to end up possibly turning into a shootout. It also would not surprise me if this game kind of turns into a defensive struggle that wouldn't surprise me, but with this game having the amount of perimeter weapons in it that it has with Cincinnati and Buffalo, this game is just going to simply come down to which team's offense can turn it on first and get their momentum going. And in my opinion, I'm picking the Buffalo, I'm picking the Cincinnati Bengals to knock off the Buffalo Bills 30 to 27 and and move on to the AFC Championship game. Next up, on the NFC side, the San Francisco 49ers against the Dallas Cowboys. Me, in my opinion, I believe the 49ers will be too much for the Cowboys offensively and defensively. I think the Cowboys' defense will keep them in it for a little bit, but I just feel like the 49ers' defense will just absolutely overwhelm Dak Prescott, 
and Brock Purdy will continue to play well. He'll he'll continue to play efficient, and I believe that 49ers defense will force Dak Prescott to make uh, to make a couple mistakes that will eventually blow the game open. And I think the 49ers win this game, 34 to 17. And lastly, the Philadelphia Eagles against the New York Giants. This is the this is a divisional matchup. I believe this game will be a hell of a lot closer than people think. With both of these young quarterbacks in Jalen Hurts and Daniel Jones, to me, this game will come down to how rusty will the Philadelphia Eagles be. Because the Giants are coming into this game with momentum. They're coming into this game hot offensively and defensively. Bottom line is this with the Giants. If the Giants win the coin toss, take the ball first. If they win the coin toss, they need to take the ball first and send a message to the Philadelphia Eagles, whether that means they drive down the field and they kick a field goal or they drive down the field and put up a touchdown. If the Giants get the ball first, they need to send a message to Philadelphia that we're coming into this game with momentum and we're coming into this building to send you home. And also with Philadelphia, can Philadelphia just 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 erase this this myth of of okay if you take a month off then you're going to come into this game rusty can the philadelphia eagles come out and and jump on the giants 7 nothing can they come out of the gate and jump on the giants 10 nothing because if they don't if the eagles come out rusty in the first half of this game and the giants jump on top of them it would not surprise me one damn bit if the Giants start to build off of that build off of that momentum. And it would not surprise me if the Giants mess around and actually upset the Philadelphia Eagles in this game. It would not surprise me if that happens at all. It really, really would not surprise me. But with that being said, I think the Philadelphia I think this is going to be a defensive struggle. I think both offenses are going to struggle to find their way. But I think the Philadelphia Eagles find a way to pull this game out and win it 26-23, to moving on to the NFC Championship game. So those are my AFC and NFC Divisional Playoff playoff Weekend Matchup predictions. Coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to leave you with something to think about. That's coming up. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. The year 2016, why do I bring up the year 2016? Because that is the year that Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos won Super Bowl 50. And during that Super Bowl run with the Broncos and Peyton Manning, they took on a couple of very formidable opponents in the playoffs. They took on the, they took on the Pittsburgh Steelers in the divisional round, and then they faced the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. But... I want to go back to the Pittsburgh Steelers as far as this, as far as this AFC divisional round matchup because in honor of AFC, of, of of divisional round playoff weekend the Denver Broncos barely knocked off the Pittsburgh Steelers who was who were a 6 seed and then the Broncos went on to host the Patriots who were the 2 seed in the AFC championship game and then as we all know the Broncos went on to win the Super Bowl Super Bowl but my question to you guys is this. My question to you guys is this. What if the Pittsburgh Steelers now now honestly let's not forget 
that AFC divisional round playoff game between the Broncos and the Steelers, if you go back and watch that game, that game was close. The Steelers at one point actually had a chance to tie that game late in the game if it wasn't for a Fitzgerald Toussaint fumble late in that game. So that game was really, really close. But let but what if Pittsburgh had actually gone on to tie that game and win it and go to and and, and, and possibly play this play the Patriots in the AFC championship game. If Pittsburgh goes on to win that game and knock Denver off, then the Patriots would have hosted the Steelers in the AFC championship game instead of the Patriots having to go to Denver. And if the Patriots would have hosted Pittsburgh in the AFC title game and won that game and gone on to the Super Bowl to play Cam Newton and the Panthers, I believe that Tom Brady and the Patriots win the Super Bowl, which means that Tom Brady would have probably more than likely left New England with seven Super Bowls instead of six, and he would have joined the Buccaneers, and 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 he would have, and with him winning another Super Bowl like he originally did with Tampa. Instead of that super, instead of that Super Bowl that he won with Tampa a couple of years ago, being his seventh, had he won that, had he gone on to beat the Steelers in the AFC Championship game and played the Panthers and won the Super Bowl and won his seventh ring, that ring that he won with Tampa would have been his eighth Super Bowl, and Tom Brady might have messed around and he probably would have retired two years ago. So, think about that. Think about that, man. What if the Steelers would have actually knocked off the Bron- knocked off the Broncos in the AFC Divisional Round, and the Patriots would have hosted the Steelers in the AFC Championship game instead of the Patriots going to Denver? Brady would have probably beaten Pittsburgh, gone on to the Super Bowl, played the Panthers. Brady would have beaten the Panthers in the Super Bowl won seven rings with New England, came to Tampa like he originally did, and won a Super Bowl and won won his eighth won his eighth championship instead of his seventh like he originally did with Tampa. But my question but also my question to you guys is this what if the Patriots would have actually gotten to the Super Bowl and played the Panthers in that game? How would that game would have gone had the Patriots gotten to the Super Bowl and played the Panthers, and not Denver. That's something to think about. That that that's 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 something to think about. If the Steelers would have knocked off Denver in that game, Tom Brady probably would have eight Super Bowl would probably have eight Super Bowl rings by now. That's why. This is what if. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. I'm your host Jared Dawkins. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at quietsoul24. That is lowercase q-u-i-e-t, lowercase s-o-u-l 24. You can follow me on Facebook at Jared Dawkins, J-A-R-E-D, Dawkins, D-A-W-K-I-N-S. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate you all. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you all enjoy the a- the AFC and N- the AFC and NFC divisional round playoff weekend as I sure I will enjoy it. 
thank you all for listening. I appreciate you all. I'm out. Peace.